Thank you for downloading this Mass Device Radio podcast. In this 2010 interview, Mass Device publisher Brian Johnson spoke with Avedro CEO David Muller about his technique to make laser vision correction surgery safer. Thank you for listening to Mass Device Radio. So earlier this week, you received CE mark for the corneal cross-linking. Um, right. And you're currently sponsoring a clinical trial in the U.S. for it. You say in the literature it's a protection against post-LASIK ectasia. Ectasia, yeah. yeah. So tell me a little so, bit about that. Sure. So what the uh, I think you know the the key to the like I would say the size of the market, the potential for um, was the cross-linking. You know, so it's a generic term. Really, is the the huge market of LASIK patients. So just a little bit of background. So, um, you know, LASIK is, or sorry, cross-linking was uh, first really invented, demonstrated about 12 years ago in, uh, in Switzerland, in Switzerland and Germany by a couple of scientists over there. And the, what they were trying to do is they were trying, they were trying to treat a disease called keratoconus, which is, um, it's a disease of the cornea where the, the, the collagen fibers in the cornea themselves become weak, and so the eye bulges and droops. And uh, you know, some number of patients, probably in the U.S., probably you know, five to seven thousand patients a year end up getting corneal transplants because the eye just gets. You can start thinking it's sort of like sag, sag, sag. The patient can't see anymore. The cornea gets thinner because it's drooping, and you know, eventually you get a transplant. So these guys came up with the idea: was look, if we if, if there's a method, if we can come up with a methodology that will strengthen that collagen, uh, maybe we can stop these people from going transplant. And it's a progressive disease, so arrest the progression while they're having the disease. So they came up with this thing, corneal cross-linking, which is on its face kind of very simple: that um, a sensitizer is put onto the cornea, basically into the stroma of the cornea. And uh, the sensitizer is something very simple. It's really riboflavin, uh, vitamin B. And um, you will, they you put, the, put the riboflavin on, <laughs> you allow it to soak for a period of time, and then you turn on a UVA light, light source, very, you know, sort of soft UV, and you shine the light on the cornea. And it induces the cornea to what they believe to be cross-linking. That is, the collagen fibers start linking together. And in some ways, you can sense, you can think of about it as prematurely aging the eye. Mm -hmm. And so what they learned was that by doing this, you actually could stiffen the cornea. So people whose eyes were progressively getting worse, all of a sudden this progression was arrested. It just stopped. And so that was good for these patients. And this procedure, the way they developed it, took about an hour to do the procedure. You put the riboflavin on for about a half an hour, and then you turn the light on for half an hour. And so it was, you know, very sort of long laborious. Sure. Is the riboflavin um, given the uh, injection, or is it? No, eye drops. Eye drops. So interesting. They put eye drops on the eyeball and then basically cook it with right. that UV lens. Right. Interesting. And then the, um, so slightly more complicated, the epithelium has to be removed. So it makes the patient's eye a little, uh, you know, uncomfortable for a couple of days, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, better to get the corneal transplant. Yeah. So this was and, a, this was a procedure for you said about five to seven thousand patients. Well, no, there's hundreds of thousands of patients have it. Um, okay. About about five to seven thousand patients uh, have to have their corneas are so bad their corneas have to be transplanted. Okay, so this is a natural condition that, that people yeah, have. it's it's all over the world. Some some countries have a lot higher prevalence than others. But uh, you, you can 
actually, you know, just for your own interest, to get an idea, there's a National Care to Conus Foundation uh, website, I think it's nkc.org or something, and you can just get, give yourself a little background on that. Hmm. So, so that was great. So they started treating these patients, and then they started looking at another important thing, which is uh, in the LASIK procedure, when LASIK is done, the uh, the way it, the way it's performed is first uh, a cap is essentially cut off the top of the eye, mm-hmm. and the way your eye is structured, there's this cornet, the, the corneal, the stromal lamellae. These are like think of them like bands of like a radial tire. That's what forms the cornea. So there's always bands that go from edge to edge, and so when you're doing a LASIK thing, you go in, you kind of cut that, you cut a flap, and you. Kind of think of it almost like cutting the top off a soft-boiled egg. Mm-hmm. And, but what happens is you've now cut those fibers. So now think about a, like a radial tire. So if you cut, if you could imagine cutting a radial tire and then putting that cap back on, the tire still looks round, but the, the, the radial bands never reconnect. So you've made the tire thinner, you've made it weaker, and just by putting the top back on, you haven't made it stronger. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually what happens in when when LASIK's performed. So, you know, if you if you look at LASIK again, you know, you cut the top off the eye, you put the flap back down. If you go, if you find a patient, if you know, if you know a person that's had LASIK ten or fifteen years after they've had LASIK, the doctor can still go in with a little tool and find that dissection plane where those where the flap was, go in there and kind of wiggle back and forth, and the cap will flip right back up again. It never. It never truly reconnects or heals. And because it's very similar to a radial tire, and your the, your eye is a pressure vessel, so it's a, you think it, because your heart's always pumping and beating, it's moving in and out. And so what happens is you've created, you make the eye weaker, it never heals, and it's this pressure vessel pumping. So what people started seeing in the early, you know, once LASIK patients had some amount of time, you know, of history of following them, they discovered this thing which has been dubbed uh, either post-LASIK ectasia or, or iatrogenic ectasia. Mm-hmm. And what that is is uh, the eyes start bulging, uh, in a sense, uncontrollably. And, you know, some number of, some number of those people who have gone to have LASIK have gone on to have ectasia who then go on to have corneal transplants. So they started off with something simple to get their glasses fixed, and they ended up with a corneal transplant. So the same guys that invented the idea for doing the keratoconus, they said, well, hey, how about if we do this for post-LASIK ectasia? And so they, in fact, did that, and it, in fact, worked. So they, so patients would come in, and they'd say, you know, I'm losing my vision with this red LASIK, losing my vision. Let me treat it with this cross-blinking and see if it works. And, in fact, it did work. So it stabilized these patients. They didn't see very well anymore because now they were, they were very myopic again. But at least they didn't have to go on the corneal transplant. So we've conducted a study in the U.S. It's, been, it's, it's now over two years of the study um, that we're actually collecting all the data on now, both on keratoconus and post-lasic contagion. So we've shown that cross-linking, you know, in a, you know, uh, multi-center, randomized, you know, study that this stuff actually really works. So, we've, you know, we have that data. But, so the, but 
during the course of all this, so as I described you, this is a procedure that took an hour. Right. So during the course of all this, you know, I started working on this procedure, you know, like started focusing on it for a variety of reasons about, you know, a year and a half ago. And came up with a way to actually not do it in an hour, but be able to do it in minutes. And so what that opened up was this new possibility, which is that if we know that patients' eyes are weakened by LASIK, and, that, and that's known, so you can sort of take it to the bank, 100% of the patient's eyes, 100% of the patients have LASIK, their eyes are weaker afterwards. Now, to what degree and how that, you know, to what degree one could always argue, but you're, you're, it's not as strong as it was before you had the procedure. So the idea that I had realizing that we could actually do cross-linking in like a couple minutes instead of an hour, the idea was basically why not do cross-linking prophylactically along with LASIK so that while while the, LASIK, while the LASIK patients are being treated, when the flap is up after the correction is made, to then add the riboflavin, put the cap back down, shine the UV light for a couple minutes, and now what, we've, what we're able to do is restore the strength of the cornea to where it was prior to the LASIK procedure. And while we have limited data on actually doing that on LASIK patients, hmm. We have lots of data showing that it's, it corrects the problem when it happens. So what I realized is it wasn't a real major leap to think that if you did it preemptively, you will prevent the problem. And that's where we think this very big market for what we call LASIK Extra is, and that is using cross-linking in conjunction with every LASIK procedure that is performed. Interesting. Now, how does this fit in? Um, with the Caraflex, was, was is this something right. that you? I mean, it, where in the pipeline did this come in, come into play? Was the Caraflex first, and then as you were watching this progress? Because yeah, well, it's interesting the way it came in. So, so when we started Caraflex, um, what you know, Caraflex is a thermal procedure mm-hmm. that gently reshapes the cornea and restores sight or restores, you know, gets rid of the need for glasses. <clears throat> but what we knew when we started off was that all thermal procedures that have been used on eyes for whatever reason in the past have all shown to regress. So, you know, you do you do the procedure, and then depending on how harsh a burn you put in the eye, so to speak, the, the eye moves back to where it started. So from the very beginning, you know, we came in, we didn't, different thermal procedures last different amounts of time. So when I started the company, I realized that, well, I don't know exactly how long it's going to last, but I believe that one thing to be looking at is cross-linking the eye so that when we create the new shape with the microwaves, we can induce it to last by cross-linking it and stiffening the cornea in the same way that they were stiffening the cornea for keratoconus in occasion. So that was what... And that was actually what drove my initial research into uh, into the cross-linking, was because I wanted to optimize it to use it along with Caraflex. Hmm. So while we were so when we first started out, we were just doing microwave pre- treatments on patients, and at, and then co-developing the cross-linking. And what we saw, you know, very early on with the microwave patients was, you know, as expected, 
if we only did the microwave reshaping with the eye, we could take somebody who was, you know, 2200 and make them 2025 or 2020. But within about, say, three months, they were back to 2200. It went back a little bit faster than I thought, but, you know, it wasn't totally unexpected that they would return. And, you know, it's interestingly enough, in there lies part of the beauty of Caraflex in that, um, unlike, say, a LASIK procedure, if you do it wrong, you're kind of stuck with it. Right. Whereas the nice thing, you can see how, how we're doing something very gentle with Caraflex, that if you do it wrong, you go back to your natural state. So we were a little surprised it was that fast, but in any case, so since then, what we've been working on is trying to determine the exact right dose of cross-linking that it will take to use uh, Caraflex with cross-linking. And, you know, we started out with patients, you know, immediately regressing back to, um, you know, their native state in about, you know, three months, and now we've been changing the dose of care of cross-linking. And, you know, we have, I, you know, I'm actually just sort of starting to review six-month data right now, and, you know, my guess is that it looks like we probably still have to add more cross-linking, but we took patients from, you know, not sticking at all to holding their corrections for, you know, a much longer period of time. And so, you know, the unfortunate thing about something when you're looking at time, it just takes time. So, you know, we're... You know, we keep extending the time of the patient's longevity, um, you know, longevity holding the procedure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the home run for Caraflex, we believe, is actually embodied in the fact that it goes away so fast. Because what we, what we believe we can do is treat patients with Caraflex on, you know, day one, allow the patient to get comfortable with that vision, determine if they like the correction, if they're satisfied with it, and if they like it, then we'll do the second procedure and lock it in. And if they don't like it, it will just go away. Well, that's very interesting as an economic model as well, right? Well, yes, it's actually very – so we had one doctor I, – I, you know, I probably could just take care of it myself, but it was one doctor that thought this great idea that I, I just always have to pass it over to him. His his great idea is that he, the way he plans on doing it is to do the CareFlex for free and only charging for the locking in. So, you know, a person can come in and say, you know, would you like to test drive this new vision? You do the CareFlex procedure on them, and then if they like it, then you charge them to lock it in. Right. Well, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, Who's going to say I want to go back to being blind, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. That's, it's a great business model for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's the, the patient is going to feel comfortable with it because you mean this goes away if I don't like it? Yes. And, you know, the doctor feels comfortable with it because... You know, there's usually like, you know, like almost with every procedure is the 80-20 rule. And the problem with the 80-20 rule in most procedures is that the 20% that don't like it are stuck in your practice hating you for the rest of your life. Whereas in this case, the 20% that don't like it just go away. And so in the sense, for your practice, you, you actually, you're net 100%. Is, uh, is Careflex, do you envision it being a competitor to Lasix? I mean, Lasix? Um, not really. I think, you know, I think that's a, uh, you know, eventually it could be, but we don't even really, you know, from right from the very beginning, we've never really looked at it that way because, you know, LASIK is, uh, you know, LASIK probably is, you know, only about 5% market market share. Hmm. And, you know, any, as any marketer will tell you that, you know, if you've only got something that's 5%, you don't 
you don't really look at that. You know, you don't look to compete with that. You look to where the market is. Sure. And if you look at the patients that uh, actually have LASIK, um, they tend to be the higher diopter corrections, whereas they're the patients, the patient population of myopes is exponentially larger in the smaller diopter range. So the people who only have mild myopia are very, very reluctant to uh, uh, have LASIK because it's just, you know, the, the risk-reward ratio is, is in their favor. So, you know, we believe actually the real initial market should be in the low myopes who really want something different, you know. And uh, um, so, and I, you know, the... If you look at the you know, the patient population curve, I said it literally is exponentially larger in the small in the small range, and so you know LASIK has been this sort of multi-billion-dollar enterprise that has been netting uh, you know that only gets you know a few percent of the population. We're the only people doing Careflex. You know, if we get like a you know a couple percent, we've got a you know it's a huge business. You don't really need a huge you know you don't need a huge penetration. So I, I, our focus is really going to be on. You know, patients who lower diopter who do not even consider LASIK now. But I think, you know, having said that, you know, I can't believe, you know, you know, I just gave you the proposition. If you imagine a patient coming in for uh, Careflex, you know, coming into the resurgent, the surgeon says, "Well, I got two choices. I've got LASIK, or I've got this one that you give a try to and come back." Yeah. A lot of people, there will be some naturally, you know, some natural switching over. I think so. Yeah, well, uh, which one's first out of the gate? Uh, well, the first one out of the gate is is, is uh, the cross-linking. Okay. And that's really because, you know, the the science is really all done. I mean, there, you know, it's this has been in the marketplace for 12 years uh, outside the U.S. And the, uh, um, you know, the, the, my, my guess is probably around the world last year there could have been something in the order of, you know, 50,000 or so patients that were, Treated with uh, cross-linking outside the U.S. with the one-hour procedure, and I think you know our change the paradigm from one hour to a couple minutes is going you know opens up a whole new whole new world. But the trick is to get the uh, the eye surgeon to to do the procedure after the LASIK procedure. Yeah, and I and I think it's actually not much of a trick in that the uh, you know it's. Ophthalmologists understand new technology. They're very quick to adopt it, and they understand market positioning. And the best example that I can give you for that, and it's, it's almost a spot-on example, is about eight or nine years ago, I think that's about I think the right number, um, all LASIK procedures were done by using a, a mechanical knife called a microkeratome to cut the top off the eye. And about eight years ago, some guys came along, and they started doing it with using a special femtosecond laser and so that so this laser basically cuts the top off the eye and so the doctors went from having a device that cost them like thirty or forty thousand dollars and a hundred dollars per procedure to buying something that cost five hundred thousand dollars and two hundred dollars a procedure to do the exact same thing and, but the reason they did it was because it was, in quote, bladeless. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people sort of, there was that initial, why would why would I do that? I get really great results with this. But what they soon realized was that the guy next door was doing the bladeless one. They had to do the bladeless one. Yeah. So it took, like, one person in every market to say, I have to compete. This is what I need. And this LASIK extra, as we call it, is the same thing, that, 
you know, if you went around and asked an ophthalmologist, you'll find some that would say, you know, I would never do that. But then you'll find some guys that say, I would do 100% tomorrow. Right. And all we need to do is find one guy in every market that's going to do 100% tomorrow because the guy next door is going to have to do it. Because, the, you know, this you know this thing with the, that statement that I made, 100% of the corners are weaker. The, the most you will get somebody to say on the other side of that is, well, yes, but it's that's a little weaker, but it doesn't matter. Right. And if you're a patient, that's not what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's one of these things that it's just going to, you know, we really believe it's just really just going to snowball. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and we have treated we have we treated only a limited number of patients where we did a, you know, side by side study of a bilateral group of patients, one eye with, one eye without, and the refractive results were identical. The the healing, everything was the same. So from the patient's perspective, everything's the same, except now their eye is stronger. What's the regulatory pathway for both uh, procedures or devices? I mean, do you have to, to go to Well, we're fully approved outside the U.S. Yeah. And inside the U.S., it's uh, it's actually a combination drug device. So it's a, actually INDNDA. Now, we we will actually have approval. Well, we're, we're, we have our... Our first study in the U.S. is completed, and we're collecting the data now for an NDA submission early next year. But unfortunately, that's for the longer procedure. Uh, we've actually filed our IND for the uh, FAST procedure, and we'll probably treat the first patients in that protocol uh, in January. And we, we hope to get approval for that within a couple of years. So I think, you know, we're... You know, before LASIK Extra can be launched in the U.S., we're probably about two years away. But they're going to be performed in, in the EU um, right now? Yeah, so starting we, to be performed we, in the yeah, EU. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we just got the C mark, and now we're just preparing our rollout. So we expect to, you know, you know, this is, you know, we're in Thanksgiving, Christmas season, so we're sort of building, building internally now to, to roll the product out, you know, dramatically and heavily in the first quarter of next year. And uh, you'll be building a, a sales force, or you already have a large sales force? Well, we have, at XUS, we use uh, distribution country by country. And it's actually a very efficient way to do it because ophthalmologists are a very targetable market. There is a, there is a network of distributors, you know, essentially one in each country, that over the past couple of decades, they were the ones that sold all the uh, LASIK lasers. And then they were eventually fired because the LASIK laser companies were all bought by big companies. And so, um, but they, you know, they sort of know where the targets are. They know who the doctors are, who are the high volume guys, who are the aggressive guys. And so the distribution network actually is already in place to start selling this equipment. So, I mean, we talk about LASIK, but uh, certainly you, I mean, are critical in the development of that um, LASIK. Can you take us back to the aha moment for LASIK? You know, 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, well, you know, LASIK. So the actual thing that we developed 20 years ago um, actually was something called PRK, which was the predecessor of LASIK. And, I mean, the 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 aha moment really belongs to uh, a guy. Guy who's actually on our MAB right now. A guy named Steve Trokel, who was the uh, he was the he was the aha guy on PRK. And, you know, my moment came because I was, uh, I had started a, a laser company 
for an undefined medical need, but it was it turned out it was the it was the eczema laser, and so my my aha moment was uh, I, I was very my graduate work is on development developing of eczema lasers, so it was when they were first invented, and uh, so my aha, aha moment was I don't know what these eczema lasers are going to be used for, but they're incredibly special. They'll be used somewhere in medicine. And within about six months of starting that company, I got a call from my now 25-year colleague, John Marshall in London, who said, I have this laser, I have a procedure that could use an eczema laser for working on eyes. And, uh, you know, three days later we met and, uh, you know, liked each other. I we each believed the other. We each believed what we had. And, you know, you know, we developed PRK. And I think, you know, LASIK itself, PRK was really the procedure that was really developed and studied and learned, and LASIK kind of grew on its own. And it grew because uh, the immediate post-op discomfort from LASIK, not so much, I'm sorry, from PRK, not so much anymore, but originally the patients had a lot of pain for the first couple of days after the procedure. So the doctors kind of on their own figured out, hey, how about if I cut the top off and do it underneath? And, you know, for a long time, LASIK was just an off-label procedure that doctors just did on their own. And, you know, I would say that it was something that, you know, John, you know, John Marshall, my, you know, colleague, and, you know, I remember it was it was actually after I left, left Summit that LASIK started becoming popular. And But you knew right from the start that because the eye was being made weaker, that, you know, the intuition said, you know, someday there's going to be problems here. Sure. And, you know, and it took a while, but, you know, you know, our intuition was right. So. Do you feel like you're sort of coming around full circle now and finishing the project in some way? Uh, yeah, despite the fact that I actually had LASIK. <laughs> so <laughs> I've actually, I actually had LASIK and PRK, and I, was, I would say I was talking to it at a weak moment by one of my doctor friends. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, you know, it, you know this is, you know, life, Life is funny the way it, uh, you know, moves forward. When I, you know, when I started uh, Vidro, my idea was, you know, here we are. We're going to come along with a, with a product that will be work side by side with LASIK and provide a, you know, provide a, a, a safer, uh, more palatable offering for people who don't want to have LASIK. And then, you know, serendipity is a strange way of striking. And here we are coming along with a way that actually dramatically improves LASIK too. So, yeah, it's, you know, I think what we're doing here at uh, Avidro spans the whole refractive surgery market. And I, you know, I, I mean, I think our commercial opportunity is, you know, it's really obvious on its face. You know, we're, we're dramatically ahead of anybody else in the uh, um, regulatory hunt in the U.S. for cross-linking. We actually have uh, strong IP filed in the U.S., to cover LASIK extra. Um, outside the U.S., you know, we're the only company that's that can actually do the procedure in a short amount of time, and we have, you know, things on the drawing board that, uh, um, you know, we I know will give us strong IP over there. And if you, you know, if you look at the, you know, uh, the femtosecond laser, this, you know, laser cutting business, you know, that one, there's about 3 million, 3 million, uh, LASIKs performed, you know, every year around the world, and probably about you know sixty percent of those or so are performed uh, using the femtosecond laser. I think, and and for the for the doctors to convert over to that, 
They have to convert by buying a, a $400,000 piece of equipment. They have to learn how to use it. It changes their behavior pattern. In our business, they have to buy a $45,000 piece of equipment and almost no change in behavior. So, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's, you know, beyond the, beyond any leap to think that every single LASIK procedure in the U.S. will be accompanied by cross-linking because the, I think the patient's going to admit it's going to become the standard of care. Patients will demand it. And, and doctors will have no reason not to do it. it sounds like a pretty uh, solid value proposition. It really is. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny how things develop, you know. It's, I mean, if, if, I, if there was an analogy I'd have something, I would have to go back to Summit and that when I started, you know, I, I, mean, I gave you a brief description of Summit. When I actually started the company, I was going to do laser angioplasty. <laughs> now we know where that went. <laughs> you know, that the, we had one competitor, and that competitor is still a little small company sitting in Colorado, and, you know, we moved on. And I think, you know, when I started this, I didn't have LASIK extra in mind, and that's going to be our lead, which is going to be incredible. Yeah. And do you, do you figure that you'll use that to... Uh, launch other procedures, or is the ultimate goal to be uh, acquired by a large company? Uh, I think if we just do our business, life will take its course. You know, we'll, you know, we'll either be acquired or we'll go public, and, but we're going to have, you know, fun doing it. And yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you if you talk to knowledgeable people about cross-linking, too, that people are really into it, um, it's what we're using it for, I think, is just the beginning. It, 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 it's the corneal biomechanics, you know, before LASIK and PRK came along, um, there wasn't much you could do with the cornea. People didn't pay much attention to it because it was a, you couldn't moderate, you couldn't touch it, you couldn't do anything. It was, it was sort of a, you know, by dogma, it was a sacrosanct area you didn't touch. But, you know, over the past couple of decades, people learned a lot about the cornea, learned about how you could manage the things you might do to it. And, you know, it, you know, not speaking to the, you know, the, the average ophthalmologist, you know, the general practical clinician, but talking to the people who are that next level behind the scenes that understand the science, you know, I would say we don't know where cross-linking is going, but we know that it's going to be used in a way that, uh, in, in a way that, in ways that we don't know yet, but we know that, we know that it's going some other place. It has, you know, it does something to the cornea that's never been done before. And so we will find things of it of use that just didn't exist before. Well, how much funding has Avedro brought in to date, and do you anticipate another round in the future? Yeah, we actually uh, we've raised uh, we've, we've had an A and a B round, so total total of the company's been about uh, nineteen million, and we're actually you know right now we're actually in the process of raising another round. We're out on the road, you know, raising currently raising money. Which, like, if I was a public company, I couldn't have told you all that stuff I just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, uh, how is your vision? Uh, uh, the uh, I'm correctable to 2015, but the uh, I'm a I'm uh, I'm a hyper rope. So uh, so I you know I see really well at a distance. I have reading glasses. <laughs> you know. The, Every, there's a lot of people that are trying to lick that one, but that's a tough one. That's a two-part problem, and uh, nobody, you know, nobody's licked that yet. Maybe in the future, huh? Could be. <laughs> well, that's all the questions I have for you. Um, Great. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck with your with your roadshow. Thanks a lot. It was a, it was a fun conversation.